Welcome in to the Bro Four Squad podcast. This is our review of Parasite, and as always, we're just a bunch of bros drinking beer and talking movies. I am your host, the Mayor Jeff Hornacek. Before we get started with the five Bro Four Squad criteria that we use for every one of our movie reviews, let's go around and meet the fellow bros joining me tonight. First, we have the American hero, Nate Thurmond. Nate, after watching this movie, I went out and bought about 14 gallons of prune extract. Would you like some? Um, I really would like some of that plum. Oh, was that what it was? I don't Fuck. know. Damn no, it. it was plum. I think it was plum. <laughs> Subtle segue of like, that's not what it fucking was, but let me bring up this other fruit. What is prune juice for? That's like old one off. Right? Although I did have an issue, and again, maybe continuity error, but the coloration of that plum juice did not look like it was way too clear, right? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. And what's... It looked like just a nice, like, little Pinot Grigio or something. Yeah. I'll, I would say the plum starburst, best starburst. And on to our legal counsel, Ronnie Cycli. Cycli, how long do you think you could survive in a rich family secret basement basement? Which is what I'm going to refer to the underground I would bunker. literally survive there for half a day. Like, not <laughs> even close. Basement. Put a inception. gun to my head. <laughs> I'm just saying right now, even if you gave me like the cheat sheet with the alphabet, don't ever send me a message in Morse code. No, like that's too much work. I'm not dedicated enough. Like no. I'm too impatient. Like, no, it's over for me. That's I would accept my end. And how, how long is the appropriate amount of time to wait between letters? I mean, it seems like you want to get the mess, message out, but like how long do you have? It's a patient right. society. On the Bro Force Squad, we do all of our movie reviews by breaking the film down into five categories. We have the acting, the story, our favorite scene, any impact the movie had, and its rewatchability. So right off the top, the acting and cast, Cycli, who stood out for you, positive or negative, in the Bong Joon-ho written, directed film, Parasite? So I uh, just want to compliment this film overall on its acting. I, I, I can't say I've watched too many Korean films. Um, but I, I just, and it's hard when, you know, you have to give credit to a movie that can convey its acting talent when you're reading subtitles for half the movie, right? It's hard to make an impact when you're watching a movie with that and, and you're looking down half the time. Uh, and so I just want to commend everyone because I felt I wasn't even reading the subtitles halfway through the movie because the movie was hitting me that hard. Um, I personally thought the father, I don't want to kind of say his name. I know I'll butcher it. And I want to give it some respect. And so it was like, it was like Kim Kitak, I think, um, is the character's name. And from what I've read is he's a, actually a extremely famous Korean actor. He looked really familiar. I can't think of anything else he's been. He might have been in maybe one or two American things. I've yeah, seen. he might be. He supposedly, I read some messages. He is almost like the Daniel Day Lewis of Korean acting. Nice. Whoa. So, so which is it? Which is so? There's a. We'll talk about. See, I thought Daniel Day Lewis his son in the film is teaching him how to act. I was gonna say I thought Daniel Day Lewis was such a good method actor. He himself could become the Daniel Day Lewis. He could be absolutely. Maybe it was him. I drink. There's a scene in the movie where the son is is literally teaching his dad how to act, and someone said online like that would be equivalent of like. Ashton Kutcher teaching Daniel Day-Lewis how to act. So, like, remember the scene in the beginning of the movie yeah, where yeah. They're, they're, yeah, like... He's, he's like, going through the so, script in the house? Yeah. Great scene. 
and so to Korean, so to us as American viewers, it's not that funny, or it's funny, but like nothing. But to it's to, more to Korean viewers, it would be like watching Adam Sandler or some random guy like teaching Daniel Day Lewis how to act, and we would just laugh our asses off. He's like, um, yeah, I'm gonna be able to. Daniel Day Lewis, like, oh, that's genius, <laughs> right? And I, I want to give a comment to. Um, I didn't see. I, I read a lot of message boards after I watched this film. I didn't see a lot of credit to the daughter. The um, so her real name. Hey, was man, you took Dan. both of mine. <laughs> Sorry, I, I thought she was fantastic. I thought she the way she sold. She was the bestseller of the family to me. Agreed. She the she literally took when they were re, like you know they were obviously hustling the family. She was the most realistic in what she did as an art teacher. So I just want yep. to give them a commence. And so uh, I thought they were fantastic. So I'll, I'll pass it on. I can't add anything to that because your description of why you liked Kim Kai Jung as the daughter was literally what I love. She got like so into her character that it actually, I think, started. She was really the only one where we saw her character as the art teacher permeate like her real life. Like she started I to become. It. Yeah, she started to become like more demanding and less patient with her own family because yeah. she's like, I don't know where the art teacher ends and where I begin. Which when I she was said cool. the uh, the uh, what what did she say the corner when when she was like the oh yeah the bottom corner. right corner is like a where children will paint trauma. Yeah, oh, and in the other painting. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was just absolutely made up, but it was brilliant. Like, like she Holy sold shit. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nate, how about you? Who stood out? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, all the all the acting in this movie was, were, was great, um, but <clears throat> I'll kind of go off the beaten path here and uh, go with someone who actually wasn't in the first half of the first half of the film. And uh, apologies beforehand um, for this whole review. I'm not going to try and say anyone's name because I don't have it looked up, and I That's wouldn't be able to do it anyway. So. Sorry. I'm a coxman. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but the uh, the original maid's husband, uh, he actually played really well in his role that he was cast for as just a crazy guy because he freaked me the fuck out the whole time. Yeah. Um, he's kind of the wild card, and he played that to a T. Um, and he played pretty much a demented, crazy guy who'd been in a basement for four years. Um, but he, whenever he was introduced, it kind of played into the shift of the whole film halfway through and that's where you saw the whole shift and i think he was a huge component of that and uh me and uh uh me and jeff were talking off off pod about the scene that freaked us out the most later on in the movie with the ghost eyes oh my god when he got introduced i mean that like talk about an x factor like something that's going to really change the film and set it on a different trajectory oh, he sure. did he did exactly that and yep. like everything bonkers that happens is a result of his introduction all mm -hmm. right to that segue the story and plot nate i'll throw it right back to you i think one of the more original plots i've ever seen and i was telling cycle before uh, we started one of the crazy things for me i didn't do really any background research before we saw this i think i was drawn to it i was drawn to it because uh obviously it's oscar acclaim but i was trying to figure out like what genre film this is 30 minutes in and that was part of the fun it's like part thriller part dark comedy and then there's even like a few horror elements in it as well oh 100 yeah so, some of the things i had made note of were specific to the genre and how I mean not to sound douchey but how eclectic it is because it's mixing all these together and he <clears throat> and I mean 
Wong Joon Ho did a great job of mixing in humor, uh, humor with horror, and also he would he's got a great way of making like serious scenes, but making them seem ridiculous at the same time, and mixing all those things in. Um, but that in and of itself is great. <clears throat> but then the whole story itself is very well done, and I think one of the great things that makes the story really great is because it's so believable. Like this legit could happen. Now there's things mixed in the story that you that kind of bring you back uh, to well, I say reality, but bring you back to reality and saying, "Hey, this isn't real." But the way things develop, you're like, "This could legit happen with a family if they got into the situation," um, and that, that's kind of the cool thing that that, that really draw that really draws you into it. I think. I just think there's so many in cycling. I'm sure you'll touch on this. There's just so many. And this does sound douchey, but there's like a ton of layers to this. Like mm -hmm. you can look at it just very surface level and it's really interesting. Or you can really, really dive into this and get a lot of, out of it. But you don't have to. It doesn't like beat you over the head with condescension saying like, yeah. this is an art film. Do you get it? Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's one of the things. I don't – I'm not one of those people who can really get into the, oh, the ethos, the pathos of all this stuff. But I can tell it's there. Not that I can really see the layers and everything, but it was a – one hell of a movie still and i probably didn't get half of the metaphors or the meaning in it right well for metaphors and meaning cycle story plot what do you got so, for us so, so what's interesting is i mean the, the plot itself if you just take it to its core class warfare class differences right like it's not that strange of a plot to have in a movie we most recently saw jordan peele attack this idea in us um but the difference is to me is it it wasn't so forced and it didn't have to make you also at the same time think outside the box it was obvious yet perfect at the same way where you didn't feel dumbed down when you're watching it but it was still on point right but it was still yeah. abstract enough to where you had to think and so it was clear like you saw and what i loved about the story and in is the fact that the rich people were not inherently bad people you know, and, and the poor people were not inherently bad people. The poor people, the poor family, they just want to they just want to make it. And they to my knowledge, yeah, that's there's, great no, point. there's not even really a scene where the rich people are like speaking ill of the lower class outside of the talk of um, uh, Kim Kitak, the father being smelly. Right. Yeah. Like, and they don't realize that they're talking in front of him. Right. Like they don't realize that they're sure. gossiping in front of the guy. Like and, I and, talk and, shit about you all the time when you're not around me. I mean, who doesn't? You should. I would be mad at you if you didn't talk shit about me. But like, you know, to them, they're sitting there going like, yeah, you're watching that. You feel bad for the driver. You feel bad for the dad. And you do understand his his pain. But at the same time, the, the, what I love about this film is like the rich people were not not inherently evil right like in the typical sense like when we watch us like okay there's good and there's bad this film was perfectly everyone was kind of great and everyone's just trying to get by the difference was the rich people were just so ignorant to the poor people's problems they didn't understand they didn't understand when they saw a, a rainstorm and, a, and and they found beauty in it that it destroyed thousands of people's lives and I think that made that hit home to me as a viewer more than anything else. So I, I just the story was a tale as old as time, but as old as rhyme. In a way that made it just feel 
more authentic. I know, I know. Where's Beauty and the Beast when we need it? But it just felt more real. Yeah, and kind of just echoing what you and Nate just said, if you missed one of the metaphors, it wasn't like the uh, the movie was lost on you or like any point it was going for you. Like exactly. you wouldn't have to stop it and pause it and be like, wait, what the fuck does that actually mean? Because or the pacing of it. have to get online it, immediately to read about what you definitely didn't understand. Right, because I've seen movies the past two years. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but if we go back, I'm sure there's at least two or three where I'm like, dude, I had to Google that afterwards. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. All right, best best scene, Cycli, what do you got? Uh, for me, it was... It, it, it's a kind of a long scene, so it's hard. It's like, obviously, when the poor family has is enjoying the house to themselves, when the rich family goes camping, and they're drinking whiskey, they're eating all the food, and they're finally, like, just enjoying the abundance of life. And then they literally have to... And then, obviously, the... the Ex-maid comes home and you find out about the guy living in the bunker. But it's when they scatter as cockroaches. Is is that scene is when they the way they have to escape the house and they scatter separately as cockroaches. And they go down the city, literally showing that they live below the rich people. They they live behind everyone else. And they get down the whole scene, it takes about five minutes to show them go down until they get to their home that's absolutely flooded. And, and it has, like, an eerie, you're like, something bad is going to happen here, kind of. Yeah, like and you think they finally escaped this awkward scenario of the family coming home. They slept all night under a table. That You know, like, that kind of thing. Like, it's just all awkward. They survived a random-ass guy living in the bunker. And it's just worse. You know, like, they are literally scuffed. Um, they are cockroaches in the society, and they get home. And, they're, and the scene, the best shot, of the film this should be on a poster when daughter is sitting on top yep. and she just shit is just flying everything's out. over shit is literally spewing and she lights that cigarette that is the most iconic scene of a movie i've seen in years it was so fantastic <laughs> We've but, all been yeah there. that to me yeah that was great so that was mine that's when you lose your three-team parlay and a backdoor cover on the last bet. You're like, it doesn't matter. It just shit is all over the place. Life sucks. Hashtag life shit. <laughs> Nate, how about you? What's your best scene? Um, so, yeah, mine is basically the 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 catalyst that kind of kicks that off um, to Cycli's best scene as far as when they're going back and going through the the flooded area and everything. Um, so it's, it's basically when they're sitting there in, indulging while while the family's out um it's kind of a, a a lull in a way um but it's also adding suspense um for the whole movie um because it's it's about halfway through and you're just waiting for something bad to go to to happen um and then i, I remember the... i remember thinking is she eating the dog food <laughs> and then of course she was eating the dog food yeah she was <clears throat> yeah there's like so much like it's such a small intimate scene but there's a lot going on with it. Um, yeah, you've got the girl on the, on the on the couch in the back drinking the tequila, and then they're indulging in the food and everything. But yeah, you always have that like tension. Like my shoulders felt tense. The I whole know. Time. I was like, what, what if the, the family back? fucking comes home? Like it's raining. They're not just gonna camp. Yeah, like, and and then they throw. And then this is another great way that he threw in darkness with with humor at the same time whenever the dad grabs the mom and exactly like he's gonna hit her yeah that was so like weird second uh, and then like, even when they're laughing they're like ha ha good one dad yeah. joking about beating the shit out of mom 
Oh, thanks. That's making me feel better. I'm already drunk. Um, but then even, even on top of all that stuff that's going on, they get into the conversations and their thoughts start running wild. And they're already so deep in the belly of the beast that they keep drawing on that more and trying to make more plots. Like, if I do marry her, then I could get fake parents. And just yeah. that whole scene, like I said, it's so intimate. But there's a lot going on in it, and there's a lot of emotions and, and kind of feelings that are thrown into that small scene. Um, it, it was really cool and uh, well-shot scene. And for a movie that we read with subtitles, like having that be so dialogue-driven and still be mm-hmm. one of our favorite scenes speaks Absolutely. volumes. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I think that whole part of the movie, I guess, is like the fulcrum. Everything hinges on that, and it just sets everything up. It's probably like the end, towards the end of the second act. Because my favorite scene is right around then, too. And it's, again, just this eeriness, this sort of like, all right, shit's about to hit the fan, but I have no idea where it's going. And it's when the ex-housekeeper comes and, like, keeps ringing the doorbell, which inherently is just always creepy. It's raining out. Someone keeps ringing your fucking doorbell. It's like, stop, dude. What the hell? And you don't want them to let her in, but you know they're going to. Um, she's so unassuming. She's this, you know, withering old lady. And then she's obviously like smiling <clears throat> in an innocent way. I was, I, I remember like kind of sitting up straight on the couch. Like I was, le- you know, relaxed. I was like, okay, but this is work now. Like what's well, about because as an audience, you're like, this maid should hate her. And she's acting friendly and yeah. acting like she wants to be her friend. Um, so that, that adds to the creepiness for sure. It was bizarre. And the fact that she didn't say what she left in the basement, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be like, I don't know if she was like a drug addict or where things were going. And then just the creepiness of her opening up that basement basement. I hesitate to say a bunker because it was like furnished. There was like a toilet and stuff. Yeah. But God, that was, I didn't know what was going to be down there at the edge of the stairs. Uh, and that whole, I don't know, man, that whole thing, like, my heart was in my throat. It was just so intense. And then, obviously, it sets off the chain of events for the rest of the movie. Can I just say one honorable mention? And I didn't even mention this before the show, but I was thinking about how humorous this was because it's so elitist and so true to life. But when they're planning the barbecue and they're about to throw it and the mom is calling everyone and she ends every phone call, oh inviting gosh. them to her son's birthday party with, and don't bring a gift. Don't bring a gift. Yeah. That's like, so I. Yeah, that's telling so funny them, you that. bring a fucking gift, you know. <laughs> I read, I read about that. That that's actually a very big Korean thing. But really? you expect a gift. <laughs> yeah, I'm you, sure you tell you tell them not to bring a gift, but they do, and that's the whole intention. Oh yeah, well, I was just waiting for the scene, and obviously things happen at the barbecue where this conversation doesn't take place as they're cleaning up, but where the mom says to the dad, "Can you believe Teresa didn't bring a fucking gift?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> at, at the beginning of, of the party scene, whenever they are having people come up, come in, there is one person who brings the gift and hands her the gift. And she says, <laughs> I told you not to bring any gift. I, I, and, I literally did this. I was like, oh, of course. Fucking real. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and, and the wife was like, I bet she loves saying that. Yeah. Because yeah, she was at the grocery store. Like, it was just part of the fucking, like, st- speech that she had to invite everybody. Yeah. All right. Impact. <clears throat> We could go anywhere with this. Obviously, it won six Oscars. I believe it was only the second foreign film to win Best Picture after The Artist, but the first foreign language film because The Artist, Cycling and I were trying to figure this out earlier this week, but <laughs> yeah. I believe it was a silent film. And that film, unlike this, was pretentious as fuck. So we'll go boomerang style. Nate, to you, 
what's the impact of Parasite for you? Oh, God. I mean, like, this is one of those that, I mean, it just goes without saying. This is going to have a huge impact on everyone. Um, and I'm probably the key demographic that is going to impact the most um, because I think <laughs> one of the closest, if any, foreign films I've watched in the past 10 years was Battle Royale, which was a Japanese film. Um, so I almost got close to a Korean film, but, um, I mean, just overall the way he, the way this thing is shot is another thing that I wanted to touch on. Um, and I think that really fits in here with impact. Um, so the way he, he shot the cinema, uh, uh, the cinematography on this, like when they're in the basement, it's very close up. It's very intimate. Um, you'll go in and the camera is very close to the people's face. Um, when they're in the house for the family, there's more wide open yeah. shots. Um, it really gives you that, that sense of openness and the way he moves the camera around the people walking. Um, that's really one of the things that he did really well in this um, on top of just the story and the plot and all that. Um, but I, I think he had, he had a quote when he won a, a golden globe earlier this year. Um, I, I can't remember the exact thing, but it was, if you can get over the one inch hurdle of subtitles, you're, you'll be opened up to so many more great films, which it rang true. And I watched this and it's, it's going to open my eyes to a lot more. It looks like I was just offended. Cause I can't read. So, well, you're not the key demographic, I guess. Well, that's all right. <laughs> Siphoning off a huge portion of the population. <laughs> We've been trying to teach you for a while. It just won't take. Yeah. It will, it will, I'm like a wild horse. Can't break me. Cycling. How about you? A lot of ways we could go with this. The impact. Yeah, the impact to me is it opened the door to finally win that Oscar, right? Like, we got it. We got it. We got a foreign language film. We can debate the artist. I don't know if we can call that a foreign language film. But I think your can... sister even hated the artist, now that I think about yeah, it. Yeah, I... there's nothing inherently wrong with the artist, but, like, I mean, well... how weak of a movie year was that? Like, like the, for that to win, I don't... that's a whole different podcast uh, if we want to break down the artist. But, you know, all I'll say is, so I have fundamentally, like, this sounds really pretentious, but I've always enjoyed foreign language films. Douche. And douche. I know, I know, I know it is douchey to say, but, like, I really do. And this was not my favorite foreign language film I've ever seen. Um, you know, for me, it's probably, like, Pan's Labyrinth is up there with maybe one of my favorites. The Rain uh, 2. Oh, of course. That actually and, is a really good movie. <laughs> there's a, yeah. Um, there's, there's a couple movies I could talk about. Der Untergang is one of my favorites. Um, but, I, you know, the, the conversation right now isn't my favorite foreign film. It's for these films that I've seen in the last decade that absolutely have deserved a conversation. You know, that's the impact to me. We finally got one that... And there's nothing inherently wrong with American movies winning. There's not. Like, I, I love it. But... There's also sometimes we just have to accept that we, we don't have to have the best movie every single time. And Parasite, to me, I watched, I think, six out of the eight or five out of the eight best nominees. And it was my favorite. It barely beat up 1917 to me. Um, it, it just made me feel happy that we finally broke through. I don't know if this was the movie that deserved to make the breakthrough. But you know what? I'm happy it finally happened. And, and so I hope kind of what, what Nathan said we are moving in that direction now that foreign language films and subtitles won't be a deterrent to people watching these kind of films. Because if you can just get, like, 
my biggest thing is every time I watch a foreign language film that is good, you forget that you are even watching subtitles. Oh, for sure. Although one thing, and this is my own fault, I'm I'm bashing myself here. I uh, tend to just completely obscurely, like I'm on my phone a little bit during movies, even if they have my interest. This one, I was yeah. like, all right, I need to put my fucking phone down because it's not like I can just hear the dialogue. Subtitles, yeah, they force you to pay attention. They do, <laughs> unless it's not well, a good movie. Yeah, funny. It's funny, horns, that you said that because. Obviously, I'll do the same thing, and I told myself to put my phone down. Still didn't do it all the way. <laughs> but the other great thing about this this film is, yeah, I may have looked away for like 10 or 15 seconds, but something that we had mentioned earlier, like you, it's so well written, you can still keep up. And that's, that's one right. of the things that I've even told people uh, in the past couple of days at work or something like that saying, hey, really watch this film. I'm serious. Like the subtitles don't get in the way. Right. You won't notice them at all. And this is coming from a guy who like never watches foreign films. After five minutes, you really do forget about it because you're oh, so yeah. locked in. It's like, OK, whatever. Um, the, the last thing I'll add to that is one thing I like about this. I just like good movies and like I don't really have a good way to know like what cool foreign films are out there that I should check out. So the fact that the Oscars will now, I'm assuming this will basically be like a, a game changer. It'll be like a precedent setter. And in the future, they'll have more nominations because two of my favorite films of the year. And I think one of these was even in my top five is this and the farewell, which was the farewell. Uh, while Lulu Wang, like the whole film is either in English or like some of her family members speak Chinese or Mandarin, but it was recognized at the Globes as a foreign language film. Those were two of my favorite movies of the year. So I like to think that we have enough eclectic taste on the podcast that if we just know the movies out there, like this, this is the weirdest ass top five, but I would have Avengers Endgame and Parasite in my top five for the year. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So my, my favorite movie of the year wasn't even nominated, which was Midsummer. Midsummer those was are, great. Yeah. Like, so for me, Parasite was my second favorite movie of the year. And but you know, Paris, everyone knows Midsummer is just kind of out there. But you know, I agree. Like you know, you, you, we can have a discussion. And that's what I like about Parasite winning. It, it forces a discussion. If Parasite lost, and no one would have been mad about it. If 1917 won, another war movie wins, yeah. another foreign language movie loses. That doesn't cause a discussion. That's just the, something that's happened so many times over. And that's what I like about this. This is this forces a conversation. But after having seen it, I feel very comfortable because I don't think it won to be like some, uh, you know, precedent setter or game changer for the Oscars. It just it was the best movie. Like it's deserving. I, agree. Mm -hmm. I thought so too. Which is what is kind Absolutely. of a relief. All right, last one: rewatchability. I'll just briefly say I do want to watch this at least one more time, but I. I didn't need to do it the first time to enjoy it, but I think I do need to do a little bit of digging online about some of the metaphors and some of the things that I missed, like in terms of visual imagery that I'll catch the second time. If I were to rewatch Midsummer, which I still can't work up the courage to do so, <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I have a good enough of a base of like knowledge that I built up from the internet after a first watch. And I think Parasite can be just as rewarding in the same way. Nate, how about you? Oh, yeah, I think this is going to be one of those films that... You go back and watch, and you can literally watch this probably a hundred times, and you'll pick up something new every single time. Um, just watching it once, I can already tell that's what it's going to be like. Um, and I think the way it's it's shot, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you can just tell that there's some things hidden in the cinematography that are maybe in the background or something you missed. Um, but 100%. 
uh, will be going back and watching this. Um, and I can't wait to see what I pick up on the rewatches. I just want to go watch it again, too, for the pacing, because I feel like once it starts raining, Bong Joon-ho's like, have you buckled up your fucking seatbelt? Because <laughs> yeah. this thing's about the, like the roller coaster has been creaking up to the top and now it's about to go downhill. And it's a double loop-de-loop. Double. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, actually, I'm kind of annoyed. I rented this film on Amazon what like a week before the uh, the Oscars, and now I wish I had just flat out bought dude, it. Dude, a lot of times they're 48 hour rentals, and this one was just a 24. Yeah, and exactly, and I it would have been 10 more bucks to buy it. And and the thing is, and what I'm so happy about is that I went in blind. I literally knew nothing outside of my sister saying, hey, it's really good. You should watch it. And knowing it was nominated, I didn't know anything about the plot at all. Um, Same. 100% have to. 100% will watch it again. And that's why I wish I had just flat, flat out bought it because I'm ready to watch it now. And there is plenty of scenes that I know, like you guys said, I didn't, I didn't take in. Yeah. And the fact that I because the first time it, you're just trying to like get your bearings straight, you can't exactly. Details. And it was that good getting my bearings straight, right? Like it was mm-hmm. the best movie to me outside of Midsummer, for my personal opinion, getting my bearings straight. So, yeah, 100, we'll watch it again, and I won't be surprised if I watch it five times over. I will absolutely be buying this movie, and probably one of those that I watch once a year. Uh, there's there's things I want to say now that I, we haven't gotten into in the podcast. Like I just love this film. I'm so happy it won. Yep. Very well said. On that note, I think that'll close out our review of Parasite. For the American hero, Nate Thurman, and our legal counsel, Ronnie Cycli. I'm the Mayor Jeff Hornacek, and we are the Bro4 Squad Podcast. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. If you type in Bro4Squad as three separate words, you'll find us there. Type those same three words into letterbox.com. You'll find all of our reviews. And check out our website, bro4squad.com, for all of our content. Till next time, uh, Cycli ripped off the handle to that basement basement door. We need to go try and put it back on. Do we have enough provisions down here? No. We have definitely a lot of can of beans. Definitely not enough. Not enough beans. That's what I was going to say. And there's a dead body. <laughs> it's going to start. Between beans and Morse code, we have a...